This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Buds and Budettes, we have another episode of Keeping Carlson Short Shifts for you here today. You are hearing Lewis start things off because Ben Burnett is off on a maintenance day. We have brought in Elon Dubrovsky of Keeping Carlson to join us this evening. How's it going, Elon? Hey, Lewis, it's going good. Thanks for having me, man. My second short shifts in a row. <laughs> I don't want people to think I'm trying to take over here, but uh, we don't know. Maybe Ben was healthy scratched. Are you sure it's a maintenance day? Yeah, we were joking about this earlier on Twitter. I think his performance has been totally up to snuff. You know, he had that long, uh, you know, a really heavy workload in his most recent uh, episode. So we're happy to give him some time off here so that we can get things underway. Sounds good. Let's do it. All right. So today our focus is going to be on some mailbag questions that we received from patrons on Facebook, as well as some listeners on Twitter. But we're going to start off here with just a couple headlines for you. Uh, first big one, Jack Eichel was held out of Thursday night's game with an upper body injury. Marcus Johansson took his spot on the top line. The game was an absolute disaster with Philadelphia winning 6-1. to one. Elon, what are your thoughts on Eichel's absence and what we should be doing in the meantime? Well, my thoughts, first of all, are that Buffalo really needs Jack Eichel. I think that's clear. I think we knew that before the injury. I wouldn't be too worried about making any moves based on this yet, just because as of now, he's day to day. He took part in the morning skate and even in the pregame warmup. So like, how bad can it be, right? So like, I'm not jumping on Marcus Johansson. I don't even know if I'd be jumping on him even if Eichel was injured. Uh, but yeah, I feel like this is just a bummer for people who are, who are hoping to get Eichel in their lineups today. And hopefully they were able to switch him out last minute. This is like the worst thing that could happen on a busy day. And then you just lose the roster spot because you happen to not be there at 6.59 to switch up the players. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's much to do here unless you think otherwise. No, I think you're absolutely right. I would not be running to pick up Marcus Johansson. Obviously... Eichel is the person who is driving offense on that team almost by himself. We did get uh, some, I believe, a goal from Olafson. So there is some backup there a little bit, but obviously Eichel is the most important player uh, on that Buffalo team. I should mention, uh, if you were following at Keeping Carlson or at Average Time on Ice, or were, sorry, at AVG Time on Ice, or were a patron and a member of the Facebook group, you would have found out about it just about as quickly as you could have. Of course, it came so late that if you are in a Yahoo League, you would not have been able to move him to an IR slot and won't be able to replace him with a fab bid tomorrow morning. Very unfortunate. 
Yeah, Yahoo really needs to fix that. That's frustrating that you can't put a player in IR once this game has started, even if he didn't play. By the way, if anyone's curious on the power play, because it was Johansson, Olafsson, Reinhardt, Eichel, and Dahlin. Normally when Eichel's in the lineup, the person who replaced Eichel I'm seeing is Ristolainen. So they just went three forwards and two D. So if Eichel's out longer and somehow Ristolainen's probably not even available in your league. So there's really no actionable items here. So we've got more exciting things to talk about. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So let's head on over. Just one other headline. Uh, in Minnesota, we have have some outjuries and an injury. Uh, Devin Dubnik has returned from his leave of absence while helping uh, deal with his wife Jen's illness, uh, as well as a return to the lineup from Jared Spurgeon, who was one of the hottest defensemen in the NHL when he went out with injury. As those two are coming back, they also have Jason Zucker, uh, who is out for the time being with an injury. Uh, Any thoughts there on how that might influence Minnesota moving forward? Yeah, I think one big takeaway for me is that it looks like Zach Parise is going onto the top line with Stalin Zuccarello in place of Zucker. So that's good for Parise. He was probably just as good before. But I think that really hurts Kevin Fiala, who's been on an amazing run. But now his line mates today are Ryan Donato and Luke Johnson, who I'll be honest, I don't really know who Luke Johnson is. He's like definitely a candidate if he happens to get points for me to ask Brian on Sunday's show, who the heck is Luke Johnson? But yeah, Kevin Fiala, like hard to drop someone who's on such a run it looks like he's got like four points in his last four games you go even farther back and he's been doing well there but yeah the zucker injury hurts him uh then we've got jared spurgeon who he's just like solid you know like he's gonna go on some quiet runs and some hot runs but in general i think he's pretty good for like a 40 to 45 point pace so if he's in free agency now would be a good time to add him if your league is like somewhat deep for a defenseman and uh yeah those are my takes. I guess I might as well throw out my Devin Dubnik take, which is that it's not as if Alex Stalock was amazing. It was even Kapo Kakinen who was getting a bunch of the starts near the end there. So I think there's, just like at the beginning of the season, I think it's like a refresh where Dubnik should get the chance to reclaim his job as the high-volume starting goalie if he could handle it. Uh, it's one period so far that he's played, and Arizona's beating Minnesota one nothing, a goal by Phil Kessel assisted by Hall and Christian Dvorak. So all the stuff Ben and I were talking about on Tuesday finally coming to fruition today, at least for this first goal. But those are all my takes. What do you think, uh, Lewis? Yeah, I'm with you. So obviously, yeah, Dubnik was someone that people wanted because he didn't have much in the way of a viable backup. Minnesota's a pretty solid defensive team. We just haven't really seen either goalie or any of the three goalies so far really be able to take advantage of that. They are all at uh, negative goal save above average for the season, which is not ideal. But I absolutely agree. I think Dubnik will get the opportunity to kind of straighten things out and maybe take a firm hold of this starting position. Stalock wasn't anything special. Who is out? Spurgeon, absolutely. If he's on the waiver wire, I think he's probably more appealing than most defensemen. Uh, a lot of the questions we've been getting, we've been asking folks to show us what their free agency looks like. And defense really kind of looks like a wasteland in a lot of these leagues. So Spurgeon should be quite appealing. And if he's on the waiver wire, I would be scooping him up. Zucker's absence, uh, you know, I think you summed it up very nicely. I don't have a whole lot more to say on that. So maybe we can jump right ahead into our questions. What do you say? Yeah, sounds good. I guess I will throw one other thing out there. It looks like with Spurgeon back, he's on the top power play with Ryan Suter, along with Parisi, Stahl, and Zuccarello. So Matt Dumba, who finally got his first point in the last game in forever, 
Uh, he becomes less appealing now. Can't even crack the top power play. And like at the start of the year, Minnesota sort of had two even units. Now clearly the Parisi, Stahl, Zuccarello, Spurgeon, Suter unit is a lot more appealing than the Fiala, Greenway, Kunin, Hunt, and Dumba unit. So yeah, it's not a good time to be a Matt Dumba owner. Are you at the point, Lewis, where you're ready to recommend for people to drop Dumba or, or are you still holding on? Yeah, I think seeing Dumba only get one power play assist during Spurgeon's fairly lengthy absence definitely has been enough for me to jettison him in most of the leagues where I'm holding him. I do have him in my joint league with Ben, uh, and we're holding on to him for now just to kind of gather up some of those peripherals, but I'm pretty sure the dream of a 20-goal season from Matt Dumba has vaporized here uh, in the first half of 2019. 20 goals. I'd, I'd take like 10 goals at this point. He has three goals in 36 games. I don't even think he's going to get to 10 the way it's looking. I doubt he'll reach those double digits. I think those were kind of the total fantasy upside dreams that some folks were having just with his his shot rate and his ability to convert in previous years. I heard a few people talking about him at that level, probably optimistic even then, and certainly he's fallen way short of, of that so far, uh, even given an opportunity for a while with Spurgeon out. Let's jump into some of the questions that we received. Uh, We're going to start with a couple from Facebook patron Chris Topher. His first question is, is this the real Braden Point and last year was the anomaly? Uh, So last year, of course, Braden Point ended the season with 92 points in 79 games on only 191 shots, shooting 21.5%. Do we think that that was the anomalous Braden Point year? Has he already hit his career season? Oh, man, that would definitely be so disappointing for people who drafted him super high. And yeah, that's the thing with these young players. When you draft them, you know, there's no way to know after a career year. Normally, like if it's an older player, then you could sort of guess that after a career year, maybe they won't be able to do it again. We're seeing that with like a Mark Giordano this year. Uh, But point, yeah, 95 point pace last year, 92 points in 79 games. Right now, he's like not doing badly. Like he's not, you know, someone that you're considering dropping. But 25 points in 30 games, obviously a little bit less than what was expected today. Tampa lost four three to Dallas and Braden point. Let's see what he did here. No points. That's a bummer. He play he plays big minutes. He's, I think it's like not only him though, right? It's Kucherov who isn't on the pace that people were expecting from him. Like Kucherov, you know, uh, it's funny. We've talked about him on our podcast as if he's like such a huge disappointment, even though he's now above a point per game, but his pace at 92 points when last year he had 120 plus. So obviously if he's taking a big hit and Hey, like 30 point difference is a 30 point difference. And that's going to trickle down to everyone else. So I think that point could probably do a little better, and probably Kucherov could do a little better as well, but I would be very surprised to see Point hit 90 points again. I think probably if he could get to point per game, that would be great. Maybe like 85 to 90, but uh, I think that's that's the upside. But maybe you have some more fancy stats that you could get into on why Braden Point hasn't done as well as last year. Well, I think the fancy stats are going to point more or less to what you have been talking about. You know, Point is still shooting at an extremely lofty rate, uh, he's down from 21.5, but it's hard not to be. He's still shooting 19.4%. It looks like the big weakness for Point in terms of his production this season is on the power play. He had 35 power play points last year in 79 games when Tampa's power play was just lights out. It was, it was, you know, fearsome to go up against. Uh, this year he's only at seven power play points through 30 games, which, you know, basically would pace for him to end up with fewer total power play points than he had just power play goals last year when he had, uh, 20 of his 41 goals 
on the power play. You know, it seems like that power play assist, I'm shocked, honestly, to see only one power play assist so far this season. I imagine that uh, he's due for some regression in that regard with his individual points percentage on the power play. But it, yeah, like you say, it's going to be very difficult for him to get on a pace that would have him end up, I would say, if he can pace for a point per game for the remainder of the season, he should be very pleased with himself. And that would really rely on him continuing to be around a 20% shooter like that as his, his real life stat, not just his season best uh, shooting percentage. Yeah, so, okay, if he could do that, I think people should be happy. And yeah, last year he was crazy on the power play with his shooting percentage, and yeah, it's probably not going to happen again. Uh, and then I see Chris also asked about Matt Duchesne. Uh, definitely someone to be more concerned about than Braden Point. He was like, are we over Matt Duchesne outside of a streamer? Uh, I guess I've taken over asking a question. I- I'm so used to it, Lewis. I just jumped in there. But Duchesne actually had a good game today. Nashville lost to Ottawa, which is kind of embarrassing for them, and another not great game for UC Saro. So I guess Pecorine will get the next game and we'll see what happens after that. Uh, but yeah, two assists for Duchesne on his line with Forsberg and Grimaldi. So the lines have been shaken up. And obviously I like Duchesne a lot more if he's going to be playing with Forsberg at even strength. Uh, so I think that I'm, I'm holding Duchesne for now and hoping this is the start of something. But uh, yeah, obviously not as good as at the start of the year or how he did at the start of last year in Ottawa. Maybe he's not an 80-point guy, but I still think he's rosterable in most leagues. Yeah, I know we've discussed Duchesne before as just a very difficult player to kind of peg down. He's hit, you know, all sorts of different decades in terms of the set of 10s that he's been scoring in in his career. Um, This one looks more like a 50-60 season than the 70-80 seasons that he's shown to be capable of in the past. And sort of the way he's being used to where he's not kind of the primary driver like he's been at some of his previous stops. I do think maybe he's a little better than just a streamer. But certainly I, I understand why his, his owners are frustrated with him. I would, I would keep an eye, you know, if he's getting that time with someone like Forsberg, I think that definitely is interesting. Uh, and he was productive with that spot today. So maybe it'll stick. But again, another loss, a loss to Ottawa. I think I would be holding him if I had him. I do see him as a little better than just your average streamer, but I think. Christopher's level of concern about him is certainly valid. Dan J.P. Gilmore, also a patron on Facebook, asks, what do you see as the career ceilings of Mantha, Konechny, and Zibanejad? Uh, A really interesting trio (laughs) to select. Um, What are your thoughts on these guys? I mean, it's a lot, right? He's taking advantage here, like throwing it in. It's like, oh, I just got a quick question. What do you think as a career ceiling for three completely different players uh, on different teams? Uh, so I guess let's take them one at a time. And obviously, we're not going to be able, able to do like too much of a crazy deep dive. Uh, Anthony Mantha is even interesting, like not only just for his career, but even just for like this season. I'm very interested to see what's going to happen. He came back from his injury and for a while, he wasn't even playing with Larkin, which I thought was like going be the line you know like last year at the end of the season mantha larkin and bertuzzi were so great together but then they had mantha on the second line playing with like phil pula and i think it was zadina but i saw the practice lines today according to anzar khan bertuzzi larkin mantha and then fabry with phil pula and zadina so i'm very interested to see what mantha could do now that he's back on the top line he's still on an amazing pace on the year 24 points in 28 games uh, only one assist in the three games since he came back from injury this is a really hard question as far as his career i think his career ceiling is high right we've already seen him hit like 59 points last year he's on a 70 point pace this year and that was by the way 59 point pace last year Uh, he missed a little bit of time 
So, like, I think he could do well. And this Detroit team seems to be looking good for the future once these guys, like a Zadina, for example, you know, get into their prime and Dylan Larkin hopefully, like, you know, is as good as he was last year. Uh, So I could see Mantha being a 70-plus point player. Like, I'm not thinking of him as, like, a superstar, you know, Art Ross candidate, but I think he could be a solid 70-point guy. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that this is all speculation for the future. You know, we're looking at a Red Wings team that, near and dear to my heart, but just, you know, woeful in general uh, this season. I think where we're Detroit fans in general are hoping for a low finish and a decent shot at a high draft pick. So maybe once you have an Alex Lafreniere in the system, you can start moving forward. Plus, we got to get some of these terrible contracts off the books. Your Jonathan Erickson's, your Franz Nielsen's. Once those contracts, those uh, sort of late-term Kenny Holland deals start to expire, I think we will see the team start to build itself up a little bit more effectively under Steve Eiserman. Uh, so yes, I think the future is certainly bright. I think he could be close to a point-per-game player, potentially. Uh, and ultimately, when we wrap this up, I'll close with, I looked at the Dauber guide where they make career like ceiling projections, uh, and I've got one for each of these players. But I'm with you. I think 70s, maybe even low 80s is in the offing for Anthony Mantha. Yeah, I find sometimes prospect podcasts and people talk about prospects when you say like, oh, what's his upside? Like, it's easy to just throw out a big number. I remember Cam Robinson was saying that Clayton Keller is going to be like a 90 plus point guy. And hey, it's it's possible. But I, I don't know. I, I, I feel a little apprehensive to throw out these big numbers if it's not someone who's like drafted in the top five. You know, I, like I'll throw it out for like Svechnikov, but I don't know if I'm going to do it for Anthony Mantha. Uh, Travis Konechny, what a season this guy is having. 32 points in 33, 32 games now after his three assists yesterday. So he's up to a point point per game he's getting like the prime deployment he's on the top power play for most of the season which didn't seem going into the year like something that would be attainable for him outside of injury but at this point it's like i think philly is realizing that connecting is one of their prime offensive players they're deploying him as such and i just am super into him oh by the way did i say three assists that was today against buffalo where he had those three assists and that crazy blowout so I feel like as far as Konechny this year, like he seems to be for real. He was drafted 24th overall. I think it's going to come turn out to be a steal. I think the biggest concern with him is maybe some injury concern. Like he's gotten hurt so far, like a lot in his career. Actually, he played two full seasons. I just remember we had an interview with a prospect guy like back in the day saying that Konechny was getting banged up when he was coming up. And maybe I, I'm overblowing that. So I think what, what we're seeing this year is, you know, that seems like a good thing to shoot for, right? Point per game, maybe higher. Yeah, I think Ben and I got a little hung up on Konechny's injuries uh, last episode, talking a little bit about our fear for his potential being cut short by some of these concussions. But if he can shake that bug, clearly he's being shown that with that good deployment, he can be a very effective player uh, who, again, maybe like Mantha, would be in that high 70s, low 80s range. And how about Mika Zibanejad talking about steals? Uh, the the trade to bring Zibanejad to New York looking better and better all the time. Uh, what are our thoughts on this guy? Like, he's amazing. Like, he has probably the highest ceiling of all of these people, and especially in fantasy when we're talking. Like, now I feel like we're almost, like, saying things that everyone already knows. Like, what is there to say? He's got 23 points in 20 games. He doesn't even need to be playing with Panarin all the time to do that, though I believe in practice today. Let me bring up my uh, game day line tweets site here. I think I saw Rangers lines coming out. And, yeah, so it was Kreider with Zibanejad and Fast, and then Panarin with Stroman Buchnevich. So, at first, that would make me think I'm nervous about Zibanejad, but at the same time, like, he's 
he's he just keeps on producing. It almost seems like he's just a superstar, and he's going to do well no matter what. And plus, a really nice stack top power play with Panarin, Zabanajet, Kako, Kreider, Tony D'Angelo. So. Yeah, like, I don't know. I, I almost feel like there's no point talking too much about Zibanejad. We all know he's good. I'm not going to give you some hot take and say that he's only a 70-point guy. Like, he's clearly someone who's going to be a high draft pick, and especially in fantasy with those hits. Like, just great across the board. I love him. And by the way, I was going to say something quickly about Philly. Maybe one concern about Konechny is, like, once Giroux, uh, like, you know, is sort of at the end of his career and starts to slow down, are we worried that Konechny potentially won't have really great players to play with? Like, I guess maybe it's too far away to even worry about, like, Morgan Frost, who knows what he's going to be, and there was a time when Nolan Patrick was supposed to be good, and maybe that can still happen. But I guess long-term from, for Konechny, I do fear a little bit that the great players that he's producing with now are getting up there in age, like Sean Couturier. How old is Couturier now? 27. All right. There's still time. So, I don't know. Just, like, a little concerning thing to say, but it's not even worrying me that much. Yeah, I think that is enough, though to sort of put his upside of the three of them maybe lowest just because you are sort of a little worried about the future whereas uh, with two rebuilding teams in Detroit and New York uh, the future is looking pretty bright you know once Kako is uh, coming into his own fully we do have a question about him a little bit later on that I think we can answer fairly briefly yeah I think that potential is definitely there so I'll say uh, from the Dauber guide he has these three players almost identical which I think is really fascinating just because I don't know if if that's what if that's what Dan was aiming for as he picked these three, but he has Mantha at seventy seven, Konechny at seventy seven, and Zibanejad at seventy eight. Um, I don't know if those are paces, you know, over eighty two game seasons because sometimes Dabber projects, uh, you know, kind of shortened seasons for some of these players, but all of them basically identical uh, according to the Dabber guide. Dan did have a yeah. second question as well. Why are all but three NHL starting goalies slash backups catching left-handed? Uh, so this was an interesting question. Non-fantasy, so I'll try and burn through it quick. I did a little research on this, but basically what I found is that holding a hockey stick with two hands does not necessarily mean you are playing to your dominant side. Uh, many hockey players prefer their dominant hand at the top of the stick, and thus they may be right-handed when they write, um, but a lefty while playing hockey. This is true for me. Any sport where I use two hands, I tend to be left-handed, um, but I write and point with my right. Goalies will almost universally put their catcher's mitt on their non-dominant hand, leading to the vast majority of goalies to have a stick in the right and a glove on the left. So there you go. Oh, so they're, uh, they are right-handed. It's just the way they play. That makes sense, because when you play baseball, you have your glove on your non-dominant hand, and you're throwing with your dominant hand. So maybe a lot of these hockey players also played baseball growing up. So then if you're a goalie, you're used to putting the glove in your catching hand. Yeah, definitely. All right. Dan, that's enough. Okay, that's four questions. <laughs> All right. Well, we let's bring it. up uh, Simon... Simon, also a Facebook patron, uh, had a question for us that I think is quite interesting. So his question is, how highly do you value a stream spot? I'm sure there's many factors like how close your week is and how many ad drops you get per week and whether it's points only or with peripherals. Uh, He went on to explain a little bit more. He basically is trying a strategy this season where he is attempting to maximize roster space no matter what even if it means dropping decent players. He said he's burned through uh, a number of players who were hot in the moment and were able to keep it up and sort of he's disappointed that he's maybe missed out on holding them long term, but he sees the upside for always having as many games per week as being greater than holding on to more productive players. Any thoughts on this as a fantasy strategy? 
Yeah, I mean, there's just so much to it. It's hard to just give a general thought on his strategy. Like, if you're in a head-to-head league, you're trying to win every week, right? So you're trying to win your current week and also looking to future weeks. And so at some point, if you have your week pretty much wrapped up, you want to start looking towards the next week, or maybe you just want to have the best players. Like, at some point, if your team is a lot better than the other teams, then maybe you don't even need to stream that much in order to win your matchups, in which case you might as well just get as many great players as you can and be ready for the playoffs when it's going to be do or die so i think it really depends on your situation if you need to stream to get that extra game in one week but you're potentially of course hurting yourself down the road if you're dropping a really good player also i find like this concept of a stream spot like i find on most of my teams it like players valuations in my head are changing all of the time so you might have a player who i think is a roster player one week and then he goes cold and I'm like yeah maybe i can drop this guy and you have someone who added as a stream and now you want to keep that guy and so you think of someone else that you could maybe drop like definitely i do like the idea of being able to use my moves i think in my cupful division tier one sweden i've used the most ad drops so clearly i am utilizing a stream spot or maybe like two or three but that might also be because it was an auction draft and i clearly didn't do that well so i have a very very uh, scrubs and stars i guess like mixture on my team so i have a lot of players who i generally am shifting out though right now i kind of like a lot of the players on my team anyways what i'm saying is i feel like it's a good strategy and you want to be able to be moving around to maximize your game played but also once you're at a point where you're doing really well regardless don't just do it for the sake of it to run up the score you don't want to be like nashville running up the score against the islanders earlier in the week or was it last week like i think that you just want to be smart and yeah don't drop a really good player just for the sake of it you're you're gonna regret it but at the same time try to keep it fluid yeah i think like you said you're sort of changing your valuation of some of these players as you go like obviously your your whatever your Pasternak's your your Kucherov sort of remain uh, steady. You're not thinking about cycling these folks out, but yeah, wait until you have those players who start to cool off. You know, I was, and it depends on your situation too. So I was way ahead in my match, and I wanted to see if I could hold on to Alex Tuck. Like maybe there would be an injury that would allow me to bring back one of my IR players. I had Eric Stahl. So I just sort of left Stahl in IR and let Tuck keep playing um, until I was finally ready to swap him out at the start of the week because I needed him. I needed uh, a more effective player in that spot. You know, Tuck had been absolutely on fire previously, but he's obviously cooled down now and he's somebody that you can let go. I had a similar spot with uh, Zidane Char recently. So picking your spots, I think, to, to add and drop these folks and finding someone trying to hold on uh, to them while they're maintaining their hot streak really is the key part of it because you don't want to hold them too long and I don't think you want to jettison them too early. So I definitely sympathize. I'm a person who has held Anthony Duclair this year and no longer has him. A couple other folks as well that I wish I had sort of stuck with for a bit longer. But at the end of the day, like you said, I think the best roster available is going to be less variable for you you know you might stream someone in you know because you think they're gonna have a good game and they get you a fantasy point and if you drop someone who would have been useful for you next week or the week after then you're gonna feel like you missed out so uh you know i understand the idea but i think i would be a little more cautious in terms of how i'm gonna go about dumping players that i think still have potential to stay on a hot streak 
Yeah, like I think Alex Killorn is a good example right now. I'm not dropping Alex Killorn even if Tampa has a bad schedule coming up. Like he's got 27 points in 31 games now. Another power play goal today. He's playing with Stamkos at even strength. He's on the top power play. Like he's the kind of guy who you think of when you just look at a team. Like, oh, that guy's probably a stream spot because he was obviously not drafted. Or if he was, he was already dropped and owned by a bunch of teams throughout the year. But at this point, you're holding on. At least I would be. Like it would be crazy for me to drop someone like that, I think. But if he loses his deployment and plays a couple games down, on the third line and maybe is on the second power play that's when you're saying okay i'm ready to move him to maximize my roster potentially yeah totally oh yeah, yeah. He, this guy has not earned any loyalty with me like i don't care if he's on a 20 game point streak if i see that he's off the top power play and off the stamp coastline i might not even wait for the next game if i could see a good drop for him all right so i think we're, we're in agreement here uh, essentially hopefully that's some useful advice for you there simon and good luck with your strategy always interesting to see how these kind of interesting strategies go and we've got one more in a question coming up in a minute here um let's address kevin shea's question also a facebook patron how do we feel about Landis Cog. His total stats look poor because of his injury, but I'm not even that impressed by his per game stats. Thoughts on Lando? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not either. He has 19 or 12 points in 19 games. That's a 52 point pace. This is a guy, by the way, when I was talking before about players who have career years later in their career, Landis Cog had 75 points in 73 games last year. That was the highest he ever had. He had 62 the year before that. And, you know, he had never really, or he'd only gone above 60 once aside from that. So last year he was above a point per game, but it was rare. And obviously everyone is going to justify it and say, well, yeah, he was playing on this amazing line with these two great players. And there was some talk in the summer, though, of maybe Colorado is going to be changing things up now that they've got a little bit more depth. Maybe they can try to roster two good lines. Maybe they don't need to stack the top line with the three best players lo and behold that's happened a bit this year Uh, i think in the last game colorado went back to landeskog ranson and mckinnon together so that's obviously the best case scenario for gabriel landeskog but i think you know like uh, another guy that he reminds me of is like a vincent trocek right he had that really great season he got primo deployment and got all of those points almost up to a point per game and now he's slowed down and i think that landeskog is better than trocek but i also think he's probably not the point per game guy that he was for one season like i'm gonna look at a career of you know seven seasons and see that he hasn't been that and i know mckinnon is amazing but the fact that he's not glued to mckinnon like he was last year and the fact that last year was quite an anomaly yeah makes me think that he's better than he's been doing so far but also not as good as he was last year so maybe like a 65 to 70 point player maybe 75 if everything goes really well rest of the way and he stays on that top line but i wouldn't be expecting him to be point per game moving forward Yeah, I think another comparable that might be worth looking into is somebody like a Jamie Benn. You know, Landis Cog is one of those players who is known for throwing his body around and some of these kind of big power forward types uh, who do a lot of hitting, they tend to, their their point totals start to deteriorate maybe a little quicker as they sort of go down that other side of the aging curve. Uh, So I wonder if we're seeing a little bit of that with Landis Cog, like, you know, maybe not to the extent that we've seen with Jamie Benn, but we also saw in Dallas sort of a spreading out of the talent on the lines uh, in a way that seems to have affected Landis Cog as well. So a similar sort of phenomenon we're seeing in Colorado, as we did with Jamie Benn as he entered kind of this new stage of his career in Dallas and becomes a very different type of fantasy player in a lot of ways. 
Yeah, also Landeskog, by the way, and this is something that I think will improve. He only has three power play points in 19 games. Last year, he had 26 power play points on the season in 73 games, so almost like a 30 power play point pace. I think like he's still on the top power play. He's in the same spot as he was last year. Don't forget, Colorado has had all these injuries, himself included. So I just feel like that's going to improve, and that's the big reason why I think he's going to end up doing better, because this Colorado power play should be killer. Right now, also, Kale McCarr has been injured, and I don't think, as much as Brian loves Sam Girard, I don't think Girard is as good at Q being a power play as Makar. So I think once like everyone's healthy and back together, he's going to be getting more points. So I don't mean to like say the sky is falling with Gabriel Landeskog. Definitely not. Like now might be a really good buy low time if people are worried about him as like a 50 to 55 point guy. Go get him. Like I said, like probably 70 plus. Uh, so there's a lot of value there for sure, especially with all of his peripherals. Yeah, I like that. I was going to ask if maybe uh, you thought that he was a potential buy low candidate. And I think uh, you and the entire city of Chicago and Alex Dobrynkit's mom are are all on the same page as far as their opinion of Sam Gerrard. <laughs> yeah. Brian loves him. Maybe Brian loves him a little less now. Brian hates the players who make a dirty play in hockey. All right. Uh, let's take a look at a question here from Shane Thompson. Uh, another strategy question. I like this one a lot. Is there a valuable long-term strategy playing zero goalies at the draft and just trying to pick up top-end backups like Halak, Frankuz, Hudobin, and streaming in when needed? I'm so disillusioned from goalies I paid this year, not earning value, that I'm tempted to do the same thing in fantasy football with QBs and just take whoever is left at the very end of the draft or auction you might be able to get a lot of value at other positions that are much more predictable Uh, but of course there's the worry about making sure to meet your start limits and you know take advantage of those available goalie slots that are there on your roster that if you leave them empty you might be sitting skaters Uh, so what are your thoughts on the uh, low goalie strategy pick up the backups as they emerge throughout the season Yeah, well, I definitely have made my thoughts clear on keeping Carlson that I don't think it's worth drafting goalies high because they're so variable year in, year out. We actually had a really interesting interview on the latest episode of uh, Marcus Kalanen's Stat Attack podcast, which you could find at keepingcarlson.com slash stat attack. And he interviewed Colin Plump, who's like doing super well in the cupful this year. And he has zero goalies on his team. And he was, they were just digging into like how successful Colin has been and his reasoning for that. And it totally makes sense. And like, I I don't know if you need to go zero goalies like as a, a mantra, but I definitely could agree with this strategy that's been proposed. If you don't need to necessarily draft goalies, you could always just pick someone up in free agency. Like, it's, you know, some names were mentioned there. Like we saw when Dubnik got injured, you could have had Staylock for a bit. He was a starter. Like, uh, like a lot of, uh, you know how it is. Like uh, Miko Koskinen had that great run for a while. I'm looking now at like the list of like the top goalies this year and trying to see like who are some guys who you might be have gotten out of free agency potentially. Like even Darcy Camper, no one was too excited about him. You probably could have uh, maybe not gotten him like out of free agency to start the year, but I'll bet you he was drafted super late in most leagues. Uh, oh, Tristan Jones on Pittsburgh all of a sudden is destroying it. So I feel like as long as you're confident in yourself to really be like an eagle and grab those goalies when you can, as soon as you see that they're doing well, then yeah, I totally agree that there's no need to uh, grab them high. I'd rather just get those for sure things. Skaters that you know are going to do well, get your Rantanins and whoever, don't draft 
uh, Andre Vasilevsky and then be disappointed. Like, no one's disappointed for drafting Ranton. I can't even think of someone who was drafted super high. Oh, maybe, like, if you drafted Brent Burns, then you're probably disappointed. But generally, these skaters are more reliable than goalies at the high end of the draft. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you mentioned a bunch of the folks that I would have liked to, to talk about. You know, I uh, only have one goalie left that I drafted. I had uh, Price was my first goalie that I drafted, and he's picked it up a little bit, which is nice to see. My other goalies right now are Koskinen and Jari, both of whom I got out of free agency uh, and are doing great for me right now. You know, how viable that is long term is obviously an open question. Um, but I definitely wasted, you know, uh, I'll, I'll come out and admit it. My ninth round pick was Corey Schneider, who I thought, uh, you know, I was a believer in the Corey Schneider renaissance. Obviously, everything in New Jersey uh, has really started. Uh, uh, I lost myself there. Everything in New Jersey has turned out uh, and about the worst it possibly could have in the preseason predictions. Uh, so that didn't work out well. But yeah, I think there's a lot of appeal to that approach. We've seen so many goalies emerge over the last few seasons. You know, your Bennington's who take over kind of out of nowhere and goalies who we have assumed are going to be very successful do poorly. That may be a good way to avoid that variance is just to issue it all together and instead uh, pick up goalies late or grab them off the waiver wire and spend your valuable picks on players that you can rely on. I love it. Yeah. And don't beat yourself up, Lewis. Like, ninth round for Schneider. It's not as if you reach too high for him. And I'm sure you're doing fine in the Cupful. Yeah, things are going okay right now uh, in in the old Cupful. So, like I said, Koskinen and Jari are just killing it for me right now. It's great. Awesome. Let's see. Let's get to a couple of our Twitter questions. We've got three questions remaining. We're going a little long here, but I think we can burn through these uh, pretty quickly. At 4Caco on Twitter uh, with the handle Capo for Caco Puffs. Uh, is Caco drop worthy yet in points only leagues rest of season? I have a feeling that took a lot of uh, gumption to type out that question and send it in, considering how this person has branded themselves on Twitter. Yeah, I feel like this person first needs to drop Kako from his fantasy teams and then change his Twitter <laughs> handle, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, not looking good for Kako. The latest line combinations in practice, I think I was reading them before. I didn't even read down the list to where Kako is finally mentioned on the third line with Philip Heedel and Brendan Lemieux. So not a good spot at even strength. Looks like he's still skating on the top power play, but that's not enough. He hasn't been producing. Like, obviously, it depends on your league. But if I'll put it this way. If Kako was dropped in tier one of the couple right now, he wouldn't be at the top of my watch list. Maybe I'd stream him in because New York has a good Friday, Sunday schedule for the rest of this week. But aside from that, he doesn't really interest me that much. Yeah, he spent uh, nearly a week on free agency after Brian dropped him in Ottawa Tier 2. Uh, I thought about making a jump for him because I saw those big minutes. Ultimately, Ben talked me out of it. Uh, and I'm very glad that he did because he has not been very productive. How did we convince ourselves in the offseason uh, that the David Quinn line blender would not be in full effect? I think a lot of people thought thought that things would be a little more solidified, but obviously we've seen Kako all over the lineup. Uh, and so, yeah, that's not somebody that I am interested in right now. I would have him drop to the waiver wire uh, if he's not there already. Yeah, and by the way, I will throw out with these Rangers line blender, but like I said, they do play Friday, Sunday, and Saturday's a super busy day, so it might be smart to grab a Rangers player for two of the next three days. Uh, look at Buchnevich, who's playing with Panarin and Strom, according to the latest practice lines, so I, I doubt it'll last, but for a game, that's not a bad spot for baby Booch. Yeah, pretty smart move there, I think, and uh, stream scheme approved, definitely, as you look at... Uh, 
how the schedule shakes out for the next couple days. All right, Jesse Martin on Twitter is asking, with Killorn riding high, your favorite guy here, Elon, who is a reasonable trade target for him? Are you expecting him to sustain this pace going forward? Uh, if league type matters, I'm in a bangers cats league with no penalty minutes, no plus minus. Good work there. Obviously, those are some undesirable categories to have in your leagues, in my opinion. Yeah, okay. Well, either way, uh, you're still happy to have Alex Killorn, even if you're in a league that counts PIMS and plus minus. We're saying Jesse actually has a league that, that doesn't count, though. So he's riding high all the way through. Okay, here's the thing. Alex Killorn, I don't know if you could trade him for the type of guys that you normally would want to, just because he's been around so long, and he's gone hot and cold like many times over the past few years. So I almost feel like the right answer here is just to hold on and enjoy it. He's in a good spot. He's having a career year. Maybe he won't keep it up, but I don't know what you're going to be able to pull for him. Like, I got some names that I thought of that if you could get them, then great, but I don't know if you can. Like, Radulov, you know, he started slow, so maybe if his owners are still traumatized for what was going on with Radulov earlier in the year, then yeah, if you can make that swap, I would for sure do it, but Radulov is hot right now, so I don't know if you could pull that off. Claude Giroux is in a cold streak right now. I would take Giroux over Killorn, but I don't know if the Giroux owner is doing that. Alex Dabrinkit, maybe you can get, and I still like Dabrinkit, even though he's uh, running cold right now, but he's still playing with Patrick Kane. So if you get someone like that, then sure, but I wouldn't go too much farther down the list in terms of like players that might seem to be more appealing than Killorn, even though Killorn's doing better right now, because Killorn is in a great spot. He's playing with Stamkos. He's on the top power play. He's producing... So I don't know. I Like, he'll slow down probably a little bit, and hopefully things won't change. I guess the lines usually do change, but it might be the kind of thing where you just want to enjoy it, and then when it's time to drop him, fine. You, you got a lot out of him while he was doing well. Yeah, I think you're looking at a situation where his name value uh, is so kind of low, just because, like you said, he's been around for a long time, versus his deployment, which is so excellent, but could potentially change. Um, it's going to be hard to kind of get one of these more fantasy appealing names from other players. You know, if you could if you could cover up the name and just compare stats, like maybe one of these trades would go through. But I have a feeling that it's going to be tough to, to pry the type of player that you would want uh, from one of these GMs just on, you know, when you've got Alex Kaloran as your, your trade chip here. Um, there may be some doubt about how long he's going to hold on to that position. Right, yeah, I agree. Okay, one last question. Here we go. All right, it's from Joel Harischuk on Twitter. I hope I got your name right. Quinn Hughes continues to tear it up. Thank you for asking a question about a wonderful Michigan Wolverine. Uh, a lot of the chatter is that his current production isn't likely to keep up because he has 14 power play points through almost the first half of the season. What do you gentlemen think of the current pace he's putting up? Yeah, I, I saw this question. I'm a little surprised, right? 14 power play points in... Uh, what is it, 35 games. So that works out to a 33 power play point pace, which is certainly high, but it's not like unheard of, right? Like they were, there were a lot of players in the NHL last year who had 33 or more power play points. Uh, most of them forwards, but John Carlson had more. Uh, Keith Yandel, I guess that's actually it for a defenseman. And then like Tori Krug had 30. So yeah, that would definitely be elite. Uh, I will point out that last year, Alex Edler on a similar power play had 25 power play points. Or sorry, he paced for 25 power play points. He of course was injured because he's Alex Edler. He had 17 power play points in 56 games. So yeah, no, that's not 33 pace, but 25 power play point pace isn't 
that bad. So even if Hughes slows down a little bit and even falls all the way to what Edler did last year, which I don't think will happen because I think Hughes, first of all, is more talented than Edler at that job. And also probably the players on Vancouver are better. Like Elias Pettersson is now a year older, a year more mature, like better. So I, I, I just, and you know, they have JT Miller now. So I think Hughes could probably stick to close to this power play point pace. Like nothing to me jumps out unless like Lewis, I think you were looking into Vancouver as a whole on the power player. Are they like overperforming or does Hughes have an especially high IPP? If there's something like that, that would be a reason for me to wonder if he's going to slow down. But just his 33 power play point pace doesn't scare me too much. Like he's a top uh, QB on a really talented power play. So it makes sense. Yeah. So the Canucks are shooting about 15% on the power play, which is maybe a touch high, but I don't think so bad. Um, I wouldn't be too worried about that. Hughes is coming in at a uh, 66.7% IPP on the power play. You mentioned off air. A lot of times we see the power play move through the defenseman quite frequently, so it's not a surprise to see that they tend to have higher IPP on that power play. Hughes is obviously super talented. You mentioned they added JT Miller to the mix, which has really helped goose their power play. Uh, I don't see any reason why Hughes shouldn't end up around 30 power play points. Uh, so I wouldn't be worried. I would certainly not be trying to sell Hughes high at this point because you're worried about that power play pace drying up. Yeah, I'm with you. He, he's good. Also, like, it's not as if he's a nobody all of a sudden producing on the power play and we're like, who the heck is Quinn Hughes? Like, we knew that he was going to be good and maybe we didn't think he was going to be this good so quickly. But yeah, enjoy it. Don't, don't be too worried. I think he's going to be fine. Yeah, I think if we say that Edler can do a 25 power play point pace without JT Miller... Uh, and we consider Hughes to be a superior player and with a better overall power play. I don't see any reason why he couldn't get, you know, pace for eight more points than, than Edler was able to. All right. Fist bump, Lewis. We're in agreement. This has been so fun. Thanks so much for having me on the Short Shift. Absolutely a pleasure. So just a quick programming note here. Short Shifts uh, will be off until early January, um, but we're hoping to put out a piece of bonus content for you over the holiday break. So watch your feeds for that. Um, But we'll be taking a few maintenance days off there to spend time with friends and family. You will have your regularly scheduled Keeping Carlson episode coming up this Sunday. uh, So you can look forward to the big time uh, Sunday episode coming your way with all of the fantasy news and tips that you will want. Uh, acknowledgements to Elon for joining me as well as uh, fan tracks, natural stat trick and the Dobber pool guide for helping us research the episode. Elon, thanks so much for coming. It was great having you on the show. Yeah, it was awesome. Lewis. Thanks so much for having me. And how about everyone out there? They keep their shifts short and play smart. Absolutely. Thanks so much.